we're going to continue on this morning. All right. Hush. A hush falls over the crowd. Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Stephanie. I'm one of the pastors here. I see some new faces. Thanks for joining us this morning. I know it can take a lot of courage to come into a new community, and so we're super glad that you're here, and we hope that you feel welcomed. Um, and uh, today, we're going to continue on in a conversation we just started last week. And so we decided um, a conversation started last week that's going to end in December, okay? So what that means is that we decided throughout 2020, what we're going to do is we're going to preach through the New Testament from January to December, all right, we're going to preach the New Testament, this second part of the Bible, and this is why. We've kind of suggested this, that the stories that we tell ourselves dramatically shape how we experience our lives. The stories we tell ourselves and the stories we live into dramatically shape how we experience our lives. And so if we made the choice to have our lives de defined by the story of God, the story of Jesus through Scripture, we're wondering how that might make a difference this year. And so we are acknowledging that we are we're people who are living in the midst of the, the continuation of the story of God. And so it's an opportunity for us to say that we are going to be defined by this story, this narrative, this grand narrative that God has been telling. And so we're doing a few different things, but one of those things that I want to let you know is that we're going to be reading through the New Testament together. And so we've got some little sheets for you where you can check off. Some of you love those check-off lists. It's going to be great. We've got one there and there. You can see them over there. You can grab them anytime or after communion. Um, and we have a website where all that information is online. And so if you are getting our weekly emails, then you could find it easily. If you're not getting our weekly emails, just email info at millcitychurch.com. We'll get you on that list. But it's only a few chapters, a little bit of each of the Gospels, starting, starting in the Gospels and going throughout the New Testament. It's just a few chapters each week. But we think that it's going to make a big difference in how we see our lives and how we understand ourselves. So what we're doing together this year is encouraging all of us to say, what if we let the, the story of Jesus define the way that we see our life? In the midst of all the other stories that we have coming at us in life, of which there are many, I'm sure you've noticed, there's many different stories, uh, political stories, success stories, failure stories, self-help stories, so many different things in our life that maybe even are important but not as important as the story that God's telling. So we're going to jump into that together and the leadership of Jesus in our lives. So that's what we're all about. So today we're going to continue on in that. And before we do that, let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we welcome you to this space. Jesus, we thank you that you are present with us, that you tell us that your Holy Spirit is with us. And God, we pray that, that you would be making a difference in our lives, that you would help us, each one of us, to understand our part in your story that you're telling that it would be your story that helps narrate and, and define who we are this year. God, we thank you so much for Sheridan and the opportunity we have to worship here. Thank you for their hospitality, God. We pray that you would bless them for that. As the kids are coming back to school this last week, we just pray, God, that you would allow these kids to focus and to learn and to become more and more of who you created them to be. We ask that you would bless Sheridan. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I bet uh, if I could have heard all of the different community time conversations, there would have been a lot of different headlines of the week because there's a lot of different people in here. And so some of you probably had some really great headlines. Some were maybe tragic headlines. I don't know. Maybe some of you just had a mundane headline when you looked at your last week. But because there's so many of us, I think there would be a lot of different headlines of our last week. When it comes to the news or the media, a good headline is going to grab your attention, right? 
But a good headline not only grabs your attention, but the article's actually about what the headline says. Have you noticed that's not always the case? Because <laughs> they really want you to click or listen. But a good headline is going to declare what this is about and get your attention, and then everything else is going to flow from that. Everything else in the news story or the video or everything else in the article is going to flow from that headline, right? That's what makes a good headline. So there was a lot of those lists. Did you notice, if you're on social media, maybe you notice, there was like the top uh, most important headlines of 2019, right? Or the most defining headlines of the year. I saw that on TV and I saw that on all the social media and all that kind of stuff. So I thought, you know, instead of getting, giving us a list of the top headlines or most important headlines, what about the funniest headlines of 2019? Okay? So I brought three of what I think are the funniest, and you're going to all get a chance to vote, okay, by voice of which one you think is the funniest of the three. And if you think that you have a funnier headline than these three, then please tell me about it later, okay? So the first one is, he picked the wrong house, bodybuilder 82 fights burglar, okay? She hit the man, so I'm just going to read a little part. She hit the man so hard with a table that the table broke into pieces. She then doused his entire face with baby shampoo. Once the man was subdued to the ground, she tried to move him out of her house, but he was too heavy for her, even though she routinely deadlifts 225 pounds at the gym. Okay, first one. All right, second one. Russia held first ever competitive slapping contest, and a giant man named Dumpling dominated. That's Dumpling over there. Okay, participants, this is what it says, participants competed to see who could deliver the hardest slap and who could take being slapped the longest. Whoever was left standing won. Slapping between competitors often ended when one of the slappers refused or were unable to continue. Uh, The referee also got to use their discretion of what was medically safe to continue slapping. This guy, Dumpling, won $450. Okay, all right. All right, so finally, the the third funniest headline I found. Japan held a 400 years running competition to make babies cry. All right. Every year in Japan, the Nakizumo Crying Baby Festival, (laughs) uh, with the sumo wrestlers, is held to celebrate the belief that crying babies bring good health and fortune, as well as ward off evil spirits. Crying babies could possibly be... I don't know about that. Okay, so uh, using some gentle methods, they have to be the first one to get their baby to cry. Okay, and I guess... One of the methods is to say, cry, cry, cry at them in Japanese. All right, so we've got bodybuilder granny, slapping contest, and sumo baby cry fest. All right, so you need to vote with your voice. Who votes for bodybuilder granny? Okay. Slapping contest in Russia. I think that's just a little bit higher. Sumo baby cry fest. Kevin wins that one. I think it's because of how many nieces and nephews you have. You want it to be good luck. You want that to be good luck. All right, so it sounds like the slapping contest in Russia won funniest headline of 2019. All right, that's great. That's great. That's all I had to say today, so we're just going to move on. No, uh, no, I think, that's, I think it's hilarious. If someone has a funnier one, please let me know. But when you look back on your life, when you look back on this last year, when you look back on the last 10 years, we've got a big debate about whether or not a new decade is starting. Who knows? But when you look back on the last 10 years, the last year of your life, what are the headlines? What would the headlines be of your life? If hindsight is 2020, then what do you see? What do you see? What if your headline of 2019, what was it? What was the headline of this last decade? What defined who you are and what you were about in this last year or this last 10 years? 
if we looked back and had eyes to see what God was doing in our midst, I wonder if there's even more that we would see. I wonder if the headlines would change if we were to look back at this year or look back at the last 10 years, hindsight 2020, and say, what was God doing as we look through our stories and what God might have been doing amongst the storylines we were experiencing in our lives? We're looking at the beginning of the story of Jesus, right, starting in the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. And last week, Mike talked about how Jesus is the continuation of this grand story that God had been telling for 2,000 years. I really encourage you to go back and listen to it. And he just talked about how when you look back at the story God's telling, Jesus is continuing it. But what we see is a long line of messy and broken humans that God still chose to use. Sounds a lot like us, doesn't it? Whether we believe or not that God still chooses to use us in the midst of our messiness and our brokenness, the story sure suggests that God does. But as Jesus continues the story, we see right away that his arrival is a major turning point in the story, a, a watershed moment, a benchmark moment. Something is happening that has never happened before in this story, and this is going to change everything. This is what's so significant about how we're starting this story and saying, where has it come from? But this is this very significant moment. And right away in the book of Matthew, one of the first things that we see Jesus as a quote of something that Jesus says is what I want to suggest is the headline. The main headline of Jesus' ministry. He comes right out with it, right at the beginning. Matthew is so great at just making it really clear what we're all about. The different gospel writers do some different things. But if you read through this, uh, the, the reading for this last week, just a few chapters, then you will see this, this headline in Matthew 4, chapter 17. Let me read it for you. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I'm suggesting that this is the main headline of Matthew, the main headline of Jesus' ministry. He comes right out with it, and he just says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, what's so interesting about this headline is it includes an imperative, doesn't it? Or a command. Something that the headline hearers or readers need to consider doing. It's an invitation. So not only is this a headline saying, Hey, here's the information, but it's a little bit of a, of a grabs your attention because it includes a command that says, Hey, you all have an, a part that you can play in this headline that I'm inviting you into. Jesus is inviting us to respond. And so today I want to suggest something that's maybe the most important thing that I will say today. And that is this. How we choose to respond to this headline news just might be one of the most important decisions we can make in our life. This headline news, um, maybe you've heard people refer to it as the good news, or in the Greek we sometimes talk about it as the gospel so the good news, the euangelion, the good news. So it, how we respond to this news headline, this good news, is perhaps the most important decision that we can make in our life. Today we're going to see that the story of God had been building to this crescendo moment where Jesus declares this headline, and then we're going to see, just like a really good headline, the rest of the book of Matthew, everything flows from that headline, like a good article that's not clickbait. Okay, so everything actually does flow right from this headline news. So we're going to do a little bit of an overview of the book of Matthew. We're going to do Matthew for four weeks as we're on this journey through the New Testament. And so we're going to start with what was happening right before Jesus made this initial announcement of this headline news. Okay, so like I said, it's in chapter four. So if you have a Bible, you can look it up. Uh, but John the Baptist, this is Jesus' cousin. He's kind of the guy that's, that's coming out and, and letting everyone know that Jesus is about to arrive on the scene. So the book starts talking about how John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, has been going around uh, expressing to people that Jesus is going to come after him. Uh, and we see right away in the beginning that, that John actually baptizes Jesus. 
And as Jesus comes out of the water, this dove comes down, and there's this affirmation of Jesus that's coming from uh, the Trinitarian God. The Spirit of God and the Father is saying, this is my Son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus has not done any ministry yet. Notice the, the pleasure already of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so then we see uh, right before Jesus is going into ministry, something crazy happens. He ends up in the wilderness and he's tempted. You probably read that if you read through this week's uh, reading. And then he comes out of the wilderness to find out that his cousin, John, has been taken to prison by King Herod, a not-so-great king. And so you'll notice right here when I read the, kind of the buildup that that's what has just happened. So I'm going to read Matthew 4, starting in verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. So the reason that he went to stay where he stayed is so that the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus, what he said would be true about Jesus. It says in verse 15, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. This will sound familiar if you were here with us for Christmas. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now as you're reading through the book of Matthew, you might notice how often Matthew quotes uh, different parts of the Old Testament, including this quote of Isaiah, and I'll bring up another one in a minute. But then we see Jesus with this kind of declarative headline. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Now what scholars believe is true is that Jesus wasn't just walking around saying that sentence over and over, but that he was, that was the headline of then whatever else he was going to say. And we see a lot of examples of the different things that he said throughout the book of Matthew. Uh, so notice that there, here we have this, this headline, and there might be a little bit about it that's confusing about exactly what it means, so let me break it down for you. And to make it a little bit more fun, my friend Steve Thomason, he's super awesome, you should Google him, he did this art of Jesus declaring his headline news, okay? So I just love it. He's, he's a super fun guy. And so let's just look at this for a second. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Let me break this down with you a little bit. In my opinion, the phrase kingdom of heaven and the phrase kingdom of God are used synonymously. There's some different thoughts about that as far as scholars go, but in my opinion, the theological evidence is that those are syn synonyms, so I'm going to use them as synonyms today. Um, so we could change that to then the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of God as a way of understanding it. We use that language a little bit more here at Mill City, but those are synonyms in my opinion. And then we see here this word repent, which here is used in Greek, and that is metanoia. And here's a, just the best definition I'm going to use today. So put that up there. The best definition is change the way you perceive reality. When you take that word by itself, it says change the way you perceive reality. And so when you have someone like Jesus, God incarnate, saying change the way you perceive reality, and then saying the kingdom of God has come near, change the way you perceive reality. Start looking for the kingdom of God. That's something significant. So the headline news, change the way you perceive reality. Start to look for the kingdom of God. Let's break that down even a little bit more. The kingdom of God, or we could say the next word would be the reign of God. So, okay, kingdom, reign, unless you're like checking out the Meghan Markle news, like that's not really our world, right? Like kings and princes and all that kind of stuff. So let's break it down just a little bit more. So the reign of God, so God is the leader, but you could also think of it as the way of God. Not the way of the world or the way of our leaders or the way of any of our lives and what we would want, but the way of God, of Yahweh, the way of Father, Son, Spirit of God. And then one last way to look at it would be the life pattern of God. Repent, for the life pattern of God has come near. 
Jesus is in some ways talking about his very self. He's going to be a living example of the life pattern of God, of the kingdom of God, of what is different about someone when they are people who are under the reign, the way of, the, the, the life pattern of God. So this is just such a cool way to think of it. Change the way you perceive reality. Start looking for the, the pattern, the life pattern of God. Change the way you perceive reality. Start to perceive your life, every bit of it, through the lens of the kingdom of God, of the life pattern of God, of the way of God. You can see why this is such a big headline, right? Because there is so much that encompasses all of that. And I want us to kind of look at this theme throughout the book of Matthew. So I put together uh, on this slide, a very, very tiny, put that up there for me, Ryan. This is every place in Matthew where the word kingdom is talked about. So we're going to just look at it and memorize it right now for the rest of No, I know you can't see it, but I do want you to look at it because it took me a long time to fit all those tiny words on the screen. But all I wanted you to get is just how pervasive this theme is. When I say that this headline is everything that flows from the book of Matthew is coming from that in so many ways, this is what I mean. It is pervasive. So uh, put up this, this diagram. Here's what I want us to just start off with. Lots of times people think of earth and the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God as this thing that is separate from each other. That, that they are, are two separate places and God is not connected in this way in which uh, involved in our life in this exact way. I don't know if you've thought that way, but if you notice, a lot of people, even who talk about God or some sort of deity, think of God as separate and the, the where, where God exists and where humans exist is a separate realities. But the best way to think about the word heaven even, or the concept of heaven, is, is the place where God's complete and deep presence resides, the complete and deep presence of God. Heaven is the complete and deep presence of God. And so what is actually more accurate would be this next picture, and that is this, this collision of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and, and earth, this intersection where where maybe the most cosmic Venn diagram ever happens. I don't know if we give that John Venn guy enough credit for how many things can be explained by these circles, all right? Because that guy needs some major props. But this is so powerful. And what makes Jesus' headline so powerful is that this is really good news. The fact that God didn't spin the earth and say, good luck, but that God is, God's presence is fully starting to invade earth and to be present with us. And that's what's so, so, such an important moment about what Jesus is declaring. Jesus is declaring this amazing news that the reign of God is being inaugurated in this new way that it never had been before. This kingdom, this kingdom that is about the wrong things being made right. This kingdom where peace or shalom, where love is valued so much higher above power and might and violence. This would have been a game changer. It would have been a complete different way to look at the world. Peace and love rules over power and violence and might. We've learned a lot from the Bible Project. How many of you have now watched one of these videos either here or we've got them all on this resource site. They're so fun. They're so good. So I brought one with us today to kind of explain what the good news of the kingdom of God is. I love watching this, but you can also just hear it if you can't see the screen. Uh, and it's about this moment where Jesus is declaring the headline of his ministry. And I want you to notice how they start, just like we hear it all, heard already, with the prophet Isaiah, who is foretelling in the history of the story what Jesus is going to do. So watch this video and pay attention for this idea of the kingdom and what it means for us today. And then we'll continue on from there. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. 
The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills we see a messenger and he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. Yeah, so when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside down kingdom. Now Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high ranking Roman officer and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. And so how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. 
He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. the king who defeated death with his love. Jesus, throughout the book of Matthew, so much of what he is saying is pointing back to what it means to be people who choose a life pattern of God, to choose to enter into this kingdom of God that is breaking into the earth. And there's one spot where he tells a series of stories, five stories, and when Jesus tells these stories, we've come to call them parables because they're not just stories, they're also kind of metaphors. And so there's these five stories that are in the chapter 13. So if you do the reading for this week, you'll read these stories. And I encourage you to do that. And Jesus says that he speaks in parables for kind of a specific reason, and it's a little bit weird. Jesus says he speaks in parables because he knows that there's actually some people listening who don't want to see the kingdom of God. You kind of maybe picked up on who some of those people might be. But that some people don't actually want to see the kingdom of God, so he's going to tell these stories, and the understanding and the meaning of the stories will be revealed to the people who want to seek the kingdom and who want to know what it's all about, which is kind of an interesting thing that he does. And then there's actually a part where he's explaining this a little bit further, and he quotes another part of Isaiah, Isaiah 6. Let me read what Jesus quotes. He says to the people listening, "'You will be ever hearing but never understanding.'" You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Which is a pretty harsh thing to say. But then he says, Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, right there in the Hebrew it's repent, and repent, turn their mind around, and I would heal them. If they would just ask, to be able to see and to be able to hear. I would heal their eyes and heal their ears if they would turn around and look at me and what I have to say. But it's an interesting reality that these stories are told to say, hey, some of this stuff is for the people who actually want to know what it means to choose the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of ourselves. And there's been whole books written about each of these stories. And so um, unless anyone wants to be here until the football game's on later tonight, we're just going to do a quick overview of them. But please read them. I would love for you to read them. But what I want to do today is to actually say, what's maybe the main point in a sentence of each of these five stories? Go back and read them when you get a chance. But I, I think that what's happening here is that he's giving this glimpse of what the kingdom of God is about in this really creative way that invites people in. When you read them, I think it might, you might feel that it invites you in. And the stories start with the phrase, the kingdom of God is like... The kingdom of God is like, and then interesting metaphor story that's kind of hard to understand, okay? So here's what I think these are about just in a sentence, all right? And you might have a different sentence after you read them. I'd love to hear them. So so just these five things. The first one is the parable of the sower. Those who want to see God's kingdom will see it, like Jesus just said, and it will sink deep into their lives and it will produce growth. People who want to see God's kingdom will see it. It'll sink deep in their life and produce growth. The parable of the weeds. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who planted good seed in his garden, but an enemy planted seeds of weeds when he wasn't looking. That would be a really rude thing to do to your neighbor. Don't do that. The weeds will grow up with the good plants next to them. 
the, the kind of moral of the story is that for a while, God's good kingdom, God's reign, will be in the midst of the reign of evil. Do we notice that that is true? I hope so. I hope we can see that. And maybe because of the story, we shouldn't be surprised. The third story, the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast, two very small things that can cause very big change, right? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like a mustard seed or yeast. What God is doing sometimes seems very small. Bringing the kingdom can sometimes seem like little glimpses, little moments where we see something deeper than the reality around us. And maybe it seems small, but this upside-down kingdom, the way they talked about it, is one that multiplies and it grows quickly, like a little bit of yeast in dough or a little tiny mustard seed that grows to be this huge plant. The kingdom of God is like that. The fourth one, the parable of the hidden treasure. This is what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then he went, in his joy, he went and sold all he had so he could buy that field. When you do see the kingdom, you will experience joy. When you get those glimpses of it, you will experience joy and you'll give up anything to pursue it if you have to. And then the fifth story, the parable of the net. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and it caught all types of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it into, onto the shore and then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and they threw the bad fish away. God is not going to let the evil grow up in the midst of the good forever. God is going someday to defeat all of evil and wipe it out for good. So the warning was there. It's going to be intermingled for a while. It's going to be hard to discern, but that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is the complete, the complete reign and actual defeating of, of evil. So I don't know about you, but sometimes this conversation about the kingdom of God can feel a little bit vague, like what exactly are we supposed to do about this? It's hard to know how to really engage it. But I think that there's some ways, as you read through Matthew, I hope you can see some tangible ways. And I want to just end with us thinking about a few questions that can help us to take something like the kingdom of God, the, the big, big headline, and make it practical in our everyday life. So I have three questions that I want to encourage you to take with you to ask today. Let me, let me explain a little bit. The first one is this. Do we want to see the kingdom of God and are we looking for it? According to so much of what Jesus says, that's kind of a prerequisite kind of a prerequisite for this whole thing. You have to want to see it. You have to ask for eyes to see and for ears to hear. Do we want to see the kingdom of God and are we looking for it? Jesus himself said it wasn't going to be apparent to people who didn't want to see it. But he also says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and then everything else that you're worried about, all your other priorities, they'll fall in line underneath the most important priority, which is seeking the way of God, the reign of God, the kingdom of God. Ask for eyes to see and for ears to hear. I think the second question that I want to encourage you to think about is this. Will we give our allegiance to the kingdom of God? Will we give our allegiance to the kingdom of God? We've got a lot of other little kingdoms, I call them, little kingdoms that are vying for our allegiance. Honestly, probably the one that vies for our allegiance more than anything else is the kingdom of ourselves. That's probably the one that really wants us to pledge allegiance to it. Will we give our allegiance to the kingdom of God Meaning, will we put our trust in, let our life value be shaped by God's heart for us and for the world that God loves? Will we let our whole life flow from this, the way that we talked about this headline? Or will we give it to the little kingdoms or these competing narratives that pull at our minds and pull at our hearts? It's not even that those are not important. 
I actually think we need to participate in some of the little kingdoms. If you don't participate in the kingdom of yourself, you might, I don't know, not have food tomorrow. There are choices that we make, and I totally get that. But earlier, I mentioned these competing stories, political stories, vocational stories, success and failure stories, self-help stories. These are all stories that, it's not that they're not important, but they compete for the main story. And if we pretend like they don't, they will win. They are loud. They're in our face every moment. The story of uh, consumerism, the story of, of more and excess, these stories are around us. We're swimming in them. And when we begin to give our hearts over to these little kingdoms, listen to this contrast. I would say that then our values start to be pulled in one direction or the other. Listen to the contrast. We bit pulled towards a value of safety over loving our enemy. We're pulled towards the value of individual independence over loving our neighbor, of power over love, of the strong and valuing the strong over valuing the weak or the marginalized or the humble, of valuing revenge over mercy, of valuing popularity over character, of valuing wealth over generosity, of valuing freedom over surrender. These values are so easy for us to flip and to say, this is what I value when the kingdom of God is upside down and says, what do we actually value? Because what we value leads to how we live. Are we going to join into the kingdom of God that says that love of neighbor, love of enemy, loving the people who are marginalized, mercy, character, generosity, surrender to a God who is leading this thing? Will we let those things be what we join? Those be the things we pray for. There's lots of talk that would make it really clear in Matthew that one of the ways we participate is praying, right, for God's kingdom to come, for God's will to be done. I believe that every prayer, I, don't, I believe that it makes a difference, and this is what I mean. I think it unlocks things in the kingdom of God, things that you can't always see, right in that messy middle, that cosmic Venn diagram. Things are unlocked when God's people agree with God and say, may God's kingdom come in this way. May God be one who brings healing and truth and mercy and grace and love and provision. All these things that Jesus talks about throughout the rest of the book of Matthew. So I think this leads us to then the final question. And this is maybe, maybe the most important one. Are we asking God's spirit for wisdom to know the difference between the little kingdoms and the kingdom of God? Are we asking God's spirit for wisdom? Between the good things growing in our lives and the bad weeds. The good things growing in this world and the, and the things that are going to hold us back, the weeds, as the, the parable talks about. Can we look for glimpses that can give us hope, hope that the, the future story is that these evil things are not all entangled with us, that God might be doing little things, but they have a huge difference, these mustard seed moments. Can you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the mustard seed moments of your life, the mustard seed moments right around you, the little things they're small, so you might miss them, but God will give us eyes to see. The Holy Spirit will help us. And I don't know about you, but I'm in the spot where I'm just like, please, because I cannot do this by myself. There's so much coming at me. I cannot discern it on my own. Okay, so Jesus' cousin John. Let me read one last thing that he said. Right before Jesus gives the headline, cousin John says something really important. And I'm going to actually read the message version that Eugene Peterson wrote. So I think it's just a great example of the, the powerful thing that Cousin John was trying to say here. This is what he says in chapter 4, right before Jesus' ministry starts. What counts is your life. Is it green and blossoming? Because if it's dead wood, it goes into the fire. 
I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. The real action comes next. The main character in this drama, compared to him, I'm a mere stagehand, this main character will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. He's going to clean house, make a clean sweep of your lives. He'll place everything in its true and proper place before God. Everything false, he'll put out with the trash to be burned. Everything false, he'll put out with the trash to be burned. I think that as Jesus followers, we need to engage with the realities of the world around us. In my opinion, I think we need to get involved. I think we need to engage. I think we need to be people who know what's going on. But that's not easy, is it? How many of you would be willing to say that, that taking in just the media headlines this week alone was a jarring thing for you to experience? Just the headlines of this week alone. Jarring to the core of who you are. That's how I felt. And so if we are people who are supposed to engage, be involved, be aware, represent Jesus in this world that God loves, then I think we desperately need the Holy Spirit to come in and burn away everything that's false. The things that we don't need to hold on to. Not just false like it's not true, like the thing that we don't have to let consume our minds and hearts and switch our values all around. God can take those things, burn them away. J Cousin John says Jesus will place everything true in his proper place before God. Everything false, he will put out with the trash to be burned. I'm here for that. This is what I know I need. I, I, everything false to be separated from what is real in the kingdom of God and who God is. This separation feels messy to me and I need the Holy Spirit to come in. I know that so many of us do. What if we prayed this prayer? I wrote a little prayer out for us. Holy Spirit, as I take in the headlines of the day, will you help me hold on to what is important for life and to let the rest go? Burn it away, leaving just what is needed to follow you faithfully in this world. A simple prayer, but I desperately need to pray it every day. This is where I'm at. So I think if we ask these questions, put those questions back up for me, Ryan, those, those three questions. If we ask these questions, there's a promise for us. The promise is something deeper than contentment or even happiness or anything like that. It's joy. It's the joy that we see in that final story, that, that one of those stories that Jesus tells. That even in the midst of the difficult realities in life, we have a chance to experience the joy, seeing the glimpses of the good and what God is doing in the world. This treasure that's hidden in a field, but someday will be the whole reality. There's a joy that comes from that. I know I've experienced it in the midst of hardship, and I think that you can too. But it does beg that question, what are we willing to offer Jesus? What are we willing to offer King Jesus who gave everything to show his love for us? I don't think that this parable, remember the parable said the guy went and sold everything to buy the field. I don't think it's actually talking about us going to sell everything. I think it's talking about what if we gave everything, ourselves, our very lives. God wants our hearts, our lives, everything that we have, but it's not about that. It's about giving of our very selves. And just like John the Baptist said, that God will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. Some of you have experienced that before. You've experienced that inside out change that the Holy Spirit brings. Some of us are like, I need it again in a new way in my life. And if you've never made that choice to say to Jesus, I surrender to you, you are my leader, you are my savior, I need your forgiveness and I need this fire to come in and burn away the things that don't need to be there. And that is the most important decision that you can make to choose this pattern of life of the way of God through Jesus. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up when you look back at your life, hindsight 2020, 
Can you see God's kingdom reign in your life? Maybe you weren't aware of it then, but can you look back and see the ways that God was trying to get your attention? God was drawing you into the values of the kingdom of God, of love and peace and shalom. I want to encourage you to look back. Just spend some time looking back at 2019. What do you see when it comes to God being present in your life? But here we are now, January 12, 2020. That's what day it is. Check your phones. January 12, 2020, there's no time like the present to say, I am going to be someone who decides or reaffirms to give my allegiance to the kingdom of God. The most important decision of how to respond to the main headline that Jesus offers. What will the headlines of our lives be? Let's choose to say it's that we are choosing to turn our minds to repent towards this kingdom of God, to say that I want to look at my life through the lens of the kingdom of God, because at the core, that's what it's about. I want to put that prayer back up again as, as we close and just read it for you, and you can pray it in your heart before we go into our time of worship and communion. Holy Spirit, as I take in the headlines of the day, will you help me hold on to what is important for life and to let the rest go? Burn it away, leaving just what is needed to follow you faithfully in this world. Amen.